0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for For the the most die-hard Georgia Georgia fans in the country. country. Here are your hosts,
1: Tyler and Charlie.
0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to take our first of several looks, at least a couple of looks. At Georgia's peach bowl matchup with the Cincinnati Bearcats is my co-host Charlie. Charlie, now I mean it's it's come and gone now. Championship week, it's over. It's fun while it lasted. What did you make of how the Final Four turned out on Sunday?
1: It's what I expected.
0: You weren't surprised at all? No. You think AM had a chance to slip in there?
1: No. Pipe. Dream. I mean, Total pipes. Should they have? Maybe, but the committee's not gonna allow <laughs> okay, it.
0: Okay, all right. Who would you have put AM over?
1: Notre Dame, maybe. Maybe. Because I got
0: blown out, but Notre Dame has that win over Clemson. Yeah, even though it was without Trevor Lawrence, without a couple teams of these starters. This is why we should
1: expand.
0: Oh, absolutely, and we have a mailback question about that later on this week, which we will get to. So I don't want to spoil that right now. But you would put, you think Ohio State deserved to be in over Notre Dame? No. Well, then why did you say Ohio State when I said who they am deserved? Because to be in they're over? not
1: going to make it.
0: What's about? What they're going to do? All who SEC do you... or ACC? Yeah, but that, that should be irrelevant. That's not in their bylaws and what they're supposed to be looking at. It's but not, you it's, know
1: what they're going to do. Of course. I know. Mean, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm with you. I wasn't surprised at all. But, like, did they get the four best teams? I mean, I and don't know. And they had to know. put Ohio
1: State at three because they had to avoid the Clemson Notre Dame matchup for the third time.
0: Which should not matter. Because what ends up happening is that if they really. But it's
1: all about. If they, the it, money. Now,
0: I mean, no, Notre Dame got destroyed by Clemson, so they did themselves. They got number four. But if, if the committee really thought that Notre Dame was the third best team and they put them at four because they didn't want Clemson and Notre Dame to play right away, even though they for the third time because they had just played, that's BS. Because Well
1: but that's what's happening because I know that's it's what they all do. about money. I know I know that's people what they aren't do. gonna watch the third time. Well they, they would play. watch.
0: They would watch. There wouldn't be think as think much of a build up. Maybe. But uh, maybe not, but like you're right. I mean you're right. I'm just saying that's Oh, I'm trying to be a PC here. I don't like that because what that does, I mean, look, maybe they thought Notre Dame was really the fourth best team, but if they really thought Notre Dame was the third best team, they put them at four to avoid their rematch with Clemson, the immediate rematch, then that screws Notre Dame having to play the number one team. when It, it should have been Ohio State if they thought Ohio State was the fourth best team. Now, we don't really know what the committee thought, but it's just all a mess. I, I, I'm so done with the college playoff, to be honest with you. And look, like A&M, I will say this. I've said it many times on the show, actually. I think I even said it last week. I think AM is the weakest number five ranked team that we've had in the college football playoff era. Like, I don't think they... I mean, I know their, their only argument is that they beat Florida. But other than that, they, they got blown out by Alabama on the road. Sure, on the road. They got blown out by Alabama and didn't really beat anybody with a pulse other than Florida. So I don't think their argument is all that strong. My argument would, would have been more against Ohio State than in favor of Texas A&M. Because when you get in playing six games... I have a problem with that. And maybe Ohio State goes on and wins the whole thing. But just look, look at Florida and LSU, right? The more games you play, the more opportunities there are for you to trip up. Right? Yeah.
1: Well, and then I read somewhere that Ohio State, which I have not paid attention to a lot this season because why? Because well, they
0: haven't played. Right. <laughs> but
1: they only played back-to-back once.
0: Yep. The because entire of the, season. Yep. That's
1: the, definitely different.
0: And their best win is Indiana. And Indiana is good, but like how good is Indiana? It's who did Indiana actually beat this year. Indiana beat nobody worth anything. Indiana's claim to fame is, we almost beat Ohio State. So how good is Indiana? We just think they're good because they almost beat Ohio State because we think Ohio State's good. And it just goes back to the idea that I even heard Joey Galloway say this on the – I normally don't watch ESPN. I was just having to watch it a little bit when I was looking at the rankings. I just kept it on for a minute. And his rationale – of course, he's a Ohio State guy. So his rationale – one of his first things they said is his rationale for keeping Ohio State – in the Cottrell playoff, was well, they started everyone at the beginning of the year thought they were one of the four best teams. And so what has changed, what has happened to change? I'm like, well, that's where you go wrong. Just because they started in everyone's mind at the beginning of the year that they were one of the four best teams should mean nothing. It should mean what should happen is we should focus on what happens on the field, right. not what you thought preseason. That should not, and that's why I hate preseason rankings, because it it puts certain teams at an advantage going into the year. As opposed to other teams who might not be in the top twenty-five or ranked that high, they have more. They have more of a climb to make. Yeah, and that's a problem. But
1: it's what we it, knew it's, the committee it, yeah,
0: was going to do. Yeah I, yeah, I go back to that. You're right. It is what it is. I fully expect it to happen. I kind of just shook my head and said, "Yep, this is what the college playoff is." And I guess it, it was just nice. I mean, was it better this year? Even though we ended up being number nine. And not number five in the last two years. Was it better for us to not like? Did it feel better like well, not mean, being left out?
1: We didn't have a great quarterback for half the season, so
0: yeah. But I'm saying like the I last two years, it. like we went in there like 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 AM, And Like right. we know we're probably not going to get in, but there's a hope. There's there's that yeah, you know sw- there's you're a not chance. And mm-hmm. then even yeah. like the last couple of years, I thought like there's like we're probably not going to get in. But They're there's just a chance. hoping to play again. Yeah, of course our guys are just hoping to play again. But as a fan, the last couple of years, like I went into. Selection Sunday, like knowing we were number five and we just lost the SEC Championship game, we probably weren't going to get in. They were going to put Oklahoma in obviously because they were the conference champion, but like there's still a chance, right? And then even though I, I like intellectually, I knew we weren't going to get in, and then you see the final rankings and we were number five, and that hurts. That sucks. So even though we did have a chance this year, I still kind of liked it better this year <laughs> because I didn't have that letdown factor. So that was nice. But all right, guys, anyway. We found out yesterday that the dogs, as many suspected, are officially peach bowl-bound where they will face the Cincinnati Bearcats, who earned an at-large berth after defeating Tulsa in a nail-biter to win the American Conference title. That win cemented the Bearcats as the top-ranked group of five team, which guarantees them a spot in the New, York, in the New Year's Six. And, and look, guys, like we know that all of you that listen to this show are aware of Cincinnati if you follow college football, you can't not be aware of them this year. They've basically been the top group of five team pretty much from the jump. But I also think it's fair to assume that while you may be aware of them in the abstract, most of you probably aren't exactly intimately acquainted with their roster and and the specifics of this Cincinnati team. I mean, look, this is, it's not a team that's featured on primetime very often. You don't see these guys like eight o'clock primetime, ABC but you don't see that very often. And I imagine a lot of you haven't seen them play more than maybe a handful of snaps this year. Like why watch them if you can watch an SEC or ACC or Big Ten game, right? So we thought it might be worthwhile today to give you guys a quick primer on this Cincinnati team in the form of a Scouting the Enemy episode like we run each summer leading up to the season to help familiarize you guys with each of our opponents before the season kicks off. I did watch Cincinnati play three times this year. I watched them play against SMU, UCF. Charlie, I think you watched the UCF game. Yeah, yeah. You were you were, We were talking about that. Like I think whatever. We, you watched. I remember I was talking about that. Um, and then of course I watched this weekend's game against Tulsa. I actually watched that on Sunday because I had to record because it was the same time as the SEC championship game. But I did watch it. So I'll fill you all in on what I've seen from this team. This isn't a full breakdown of the game. We'll do that next week where we'll break down the matchups, the keys to the game, all that fun stuff. But today, we just want to help you guys get to know who we are playing in Atlanta on January 1st. But this is where I'm going to turn things over to Charlie. Charlie, where are we starting?
1: All right. Well, let's start with a big picture look at Cincinnati. We'll get to the units and individual players later. But first, how good is this Bearcat team?
0: They are very good. I know it's popular among Power 5 fan bases to make fun of all the Group of 5 teams and say, oh yeah, you can never compete in the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Big 12, whatever conference it is. You guys have no chance. You're a joke. You don't deserve to be in. We like to point and laugh at programs like Central Florida that unilaterally declare themselves national champs even though they didn't play in the college playoff. playoff. Like, all that's fun and games. We have a good time doing that. But I mean in the interest of objectivity this Cincinnati team is really good, and they absolutely deserve our respect. I mean, you guys know this. They're undefeated. They're also plus 1,408 yards on the year in their total yardage differential. They're outscoring opponents by an average of 23 points per game. They're actually right behind us at number nine, in the S&P+. Plus. We're sitting there at number eight. Guys, S&P+, plus, I have a lot of respect for Bill Connolly and what he does to the S&P+. Plus. It's, it's so accurate year in and year out when rating these teams and they are right there in the top 10 just one spot behind us and the 2020 S&P Plus they have the most efficient defense in America guys I did not stutter the most efficient defense in America they're number one in the country in yards per play allowed only up 4.32 yards per play and while this team is certainly built around their strong defense they're also really good on offense too They have the 11th most efficient offense in the country, averaging 6.87 yards per play. So any way you slice the guy statistically, and I know that can be misleading. There's got to be context involved there. But statistically, this Cincinnati team is better than us from that standpoint. But as I'm sure a lot of you are thinking right now as you're listening to this episode and you're hearing me talk up Cincinnati and telling you how great they are, how much stock should we be putting into those numbers?
1: Yeah, that's the obvious next question. Those are some impressive numbers and metrics, but how much stock should we put into them considering the level of competition and the strength of schedule playing in the American Athletic Conference?
0: And that's the thing. When you're looking at Cincinnati and you're trying to determine how good they really are and you're doing that based on the numbers alone, it can be kind of misleading because regardless of how good you think Cincinnati is, regardless of how much respect you have for these group of five conferences, the American Athletic Conference is not the SEC. Cincinnati didn't play Alabama. They didn't play Florida. Or heck, they didn't even play Auburn. But, you know, I will say this for the AAC. I, I, I really don't. I know this is going to be unpopular among some of our listeners, but I'm just trying to be honest here with you guys. I don't think the AAC is all that much different from a talent and personal standpoint to maybe like the Big 12 or the Pac 12. Is it the SEC? No, I do not think so. It doesn't have the teams at the top like the SEC has. But is it comparable to the Big 12 and the Pac-12? I, I really think that it is. And, and I've come around on this. You know, A couple years ago, I would have said, no, not even close. But the more I watch these teams and the more consistent these programs have become over the years, it's not just a one-year flash and pan kind of thing with teams like Memphis and SMU and Houston and UCF and Cincinnati now. I really don't think the AAC is all that much different from a really, again, a talent and personnel standpoint. Sure, Oklahoma and Texas will have better players year in year out because they're just going to recruit better and they have the brand name, but the rest of the Big 12, the rest of the Pac-12, I mean, are you telling me that Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Baylor, yeah, I know Baylor was good last year, but look at Baylor this year, look at Baylor traditionally. Are you going to tell me those teams, the Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Baylor's, even TCU, are they really all that much better than Central Florida and Memphis and Cincinnati and SMU and Houston? Are Oregon State and Washington State and Arizona and Cal and Colorado, I know Colorado had a good year this year, but traditionally speaking over the past decade or so, are those kind of programs in the Pac-12 really all that much better than the UCFs and the Memphises and Cincinnati, SMUs, the Houstons of the world, in, in the AAC? I really don't think they are. And look, when these AAC programs have faced off against some of these middling Pac 12 and Big 12 teams, even some ACC teams the past couple of years. They've won their fair share of those games. I mean, SMU, they beat TCU at TCU last year. Memphis beat Ole Miss and UCLA. Houston the past couple of years. I think going back to 2016, they beat Oklahoma. Uh, they've also beaten Arizona in the past four or five years. Cincinnati the past four or five years has beaten Purdue, UCLA, Virginia Tech, UCF. We know they beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl a couple of years back. Uh, They've beaten Stanford. They've beaten Pitt. They've beaten Maryland. They've beaten a lot of those teams. Now, certainly, it is rare that these AAC teams, these top AAC teams, whoever it is on any given year, it's rare they beat the big boys, the Power Five. Like, I guess the biggest thing they've beaten is, I guess, UCF beat Auburn uh, in 2017 in that Peach Bowl. But other than that, I mean, they're they're beating kind of like middle-of-the-pack programs. They're beating the UCLA's, the Ole Miss, the, the the TCU's of the world, Purdue's. And I guess Houston also beat OU back in 2016. So those were the two big wins, Auburn and OU. Other than that, Stanford, Pitt, Maryland, programs like that. So they don't beat those big boys very often, but it's also rare that they get the opportunity to play those top Power 5 programs because it's a no-win situation for a program like Georgia to play one of those teams in the regular season. We just have no need to play a team like that. Why? Why would you, why would you possibly do that? And it's kind of the same mentality once you get into one of these New Year's Six Bowls with them, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But all I'm saying here, I'm not saying the AAC is anywhere close to the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten. All I'm saying is like the ACC, they they might not have a team capable of winning a national title against the best power five teams. I don't think that they do. I don't think Cincinnati this year is as good as they are. I don't think they're one of the top four teams. I don't think that they would win a semifinal game. I don't think we'd really be close. I don't think that UCF in years past would have won a semifinal game. I don't think... That SMU in years past, and they've been pretty good, would have won a semifinal game. I know they didn't get to that point. I just, I don't think that those teams would have done that. So I'm, I, that's not where I'm going with this. But I, I will maintain, I will argue that there are three to five teams in the AAC every year, and I say the AAC because that's the best group of five conference year in year out. Somebody had a good year this year, but the AAC year in year out is the best group of five conference. But there are three, three to five teams in that conference every year that I think, I absolutely believe, could go. Four and four, five and three, who knows, maybe even six and two in a given year in the Big 12 or the Pac 12. I really do believe that. If you put Memphis, if you put UCF, if you put Cincinnati, SMU, Houston, those kind of programs in the Big 12, I think give them a year or two and they could be four and four, five and three, six and two on any given year. TCU basically did that, right? I know TCU has been up and down, but they've had good years in the Big 12 and they were coming from a group of five conference. They were coming from the Mountain West, so we've seen it with Utah, Utah coming from the Mountain West, and they played for the Pac-12 title game last year. So you're telling me that if you put Cincinnati or UCF or Memphis or Houston or SMU, one of those programs in the in the Big Twelve, that they couldn't compete within a couple of years? I abs- actually I think they could compete immediately. So no, I don't really think that we should just completely like immediately just discount their stats because they don't play in one of these Power Five conferences. I mean, look at Iowa State, guys. Guys, Iowa State lost to Louisiana by three touchdowns at home in week one. I know Louisiana is a good group of five teams in the Sun Belt this year, but Iowa State lost to them by essentially three touchdowns at home, and we don't discount Iowa State stats because they play in the Big 12. And all I'm saying is I just don't think the Big 12 this year, really any given year, is all that different than the AAC any given year. I just don't. So if we respect those teams, then why don't we respect a team like Cincinnati. If we respected Baylor going in last year, and I don't know how how much the general fan respected Baylor. I respected Baylor. They were a good team last year. If we respected them in the, in the Sugar Bowl last year, then why aren't we going to respect Cincinnati going to the Peach Bowl this year? Now, look, in terms of those stats and, and what they tell us about Cincinnati, I, I will admit like, look, we did play two top seven teams and Cincinnati played one top 25 and they beat Tulsa in the final college football playoff rankings. So that's going to skew things to a degree when when you're talking about like trying to measure their statistical performance this year versus our statistical performance and trying to project forward into this game. But I'm not going to just throw out their numbers and the success they've had this year because when you watch them play I think you see the play on the field back up those numbers to a large degree. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal listen to the deal
1: listen to the deal on spotify okay well with all that in mind we opened as a six and a half to seven point favorite depending on where you look is that too many points not enough points what's your take
0: yeah that's a good question i think that's i would say that's about right when you adjust for context i think when you look at the the big picture of this game put it the context As is the case almost every time one of these group of five programs gets into a new year six bowl and they get to play a power five conference it's one of the if not the biggest games in the history of this program and now this won't necessarily be cincinnati's first experience on the big stage one of these new year six type bowl games they played florida and virginia tech i think in back-to-back years i think it was the orange bowl in 08 against virginia tech they lost that game pretty convincingly, and they got blown out by Florida in the Sugar Bowl in 2009. I think Tim Tebow was still on that team. So they've been in games like this before, but this is a a different Cincinnati program. You got Luke Fickle in charge. This is a different Cincinnati team, and they are very good, and they are going to be very motivated to win this game. I mean, yes, they've been in games like this before, but I mean, that was over a decade ago, guys. Most of the guys on this team, I mean, they, they weren't really old enough to even remember that. So for these guys on this Cincinnati team, this is the biggest game that they have played to date in their college careers. And for most Cincinnati fans, since they didn't win that Orange Bowl or that Sugar Bowl against Virginia Tech and Florida, respectively, I think you can make an argument. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a Cincinnati fan, but I think among a lot of them, especially considering how good we've been of late the past couple years, this might be considered the biggest game in their history. Because I think they probably think this team is better than that 08 team, that 09 team that lost to Virginia Tech and Florida while we, on the other hand, are just sitting here trying to figure out exactly how many opt-outs we're going to have. I think right now the count is at six, and these are all big-time contributors, guys like Monty Rice, Eric Stokes, guys that have contributed in a big way for us for a long time. So I think the fact is they're going to have a motivational, psychological edge going into this game, and they're going to be at full strength, more so than we are, because we're going to have some guys that are opting out. And I know all all the uh, the Group of Five fans out there, all the Cincinnati fans, it's really it's weird. It's not just Cincinnati. It's like they're, they're playing for all the group of 5 them, right? Like all those group of five conferences out there, whether it's the Sun Belt, whether it's the AAC, the Mountain West, like they are all like temporarily taking on Cincinnati as their team because they want to stick it to the man. Like they want to prove that the group of five can actually compete against the big boys. So they hear people like me say that, oh, you know, like we have a lot of guys opting out, which is really just stating fact, they lose their minds. They they become like overwhelmed with rage because they see that as just an excuse, like us preparing excuses for when we lose these teams. But I'm like, look, if you win, you win. Congratulations. But the fact is we're not going to have some major contributors for our team playing while you're going to have everybody that contributes on your team throughout the year. They're all going to be suing up because it's a huge game for them. They're not going to miss out on this opportunity. That's just the facts. That's just reality. So I think that's something you have to look at when you're trying to determine like, what should the line be for this game? And as I mentioned earlier, guys, statistically, like, yeah, they're better than us, but, but there's context there. As we mentioned, don't go through that again. Mention mentioned there's some context there. And also let's throw this in there too if you're looking at our season statistics, we're also a very different team offensively than we were for about 70% of the season. Who we are right now the last three games is an entirely different offense than who we were for the first six games. So I think that has to be considered as well. And I think Vegas is, of course, looking at that as well. But I think given all the factors involved, a touchdown is about right. I think that we clearly have more talent. Obviously, that's not even a question. here. We are the more talented team. Will we be the more motivated team, or will we be even close to as motivated as they will to, to, to play this game? Will we be the healthiest team? Will we be the team at the at full strength? Probably not, and that's why I would say seven points is, is about right. Because if if this was just based on the rosters and how good these two teams were, how talented they were, I mean, we'd be a two touchdown favorite. But that's not what you have to look at when you're playing a bowl game. That's part of the equation you're playing a bowl game. But so is motivation. So is who's available to play. All those kind of things. So with all that in mind, I think. Seven points a touchdown, that sounds about right going into this game.
1: Okay, well let's get more specific with the Cincinnati offense. We've had issues slowing down the two best offenses we've faced this season, and as you told us earlier, uh, they're just outside the top 10 in yards per play. Who and what do we need to be ready for when it comes to the Cincinnati offense?
0: On this show, quarterback play has been the theme of the 2020 season. I mean, whether it's... Our struggles finding quality play at that position, or our struggles slowing down teams that had elite quarterback play, as Charlie reminded us there. That's been the theme. That's been the theme all year long on this show, really since week one when we realized that JT Daniels probably wasn't going to be playing anytime soon and DeWa Mathis didn't look like we wanted DeWa Mathis to look like. And we realized Desmond Bennett was probably going to be that guy. That's been the theme all year long. And it's no different for Cincinnati. That's the theme for this team as well. It begins and ends with quarterback Desmond Ritter for this Cincinnati Bearcat offense. He's a dual threat guy, tall, lanky player, very long strider. Might not look like he's moving that fast, but he covers a lot of ground. He took a really big step forward this year as a passer as well. I mean, last year, he only completed 55% of his passes for 6.7 yards per attempt, 18 touchdowns and nine picks. Not terrible numbers, but not good numbers either. That's why they couldn't get over the hump last year and, and beat Memphis and win the conference. But this year, things changed for him. He's still the same dynamic runner he was, but this year he was able to improve his passing numbers to 66.4% completion percentage, 8.6 yards per attempt, almost two more yards per passing attempt this year, 17 touchdowns, six interceptions, still had 609 yards rushing, 7.3 yards per rush, 12 touchdowns on the ground. This guy is the beginning and end for this Cincinnati offense. They run a ton of like true zone read with him and you still see zone read, but that's, that's almost like a base play in their offense. In fact, I would argue it is their base play in that offense. And and that's not abnormal necessarily, but it's just, it's, it's almost a little bit old school. I know that seems weird to call the zone read old school when it's probably really, I mean, what, we saw Rich Rod do it at West Virginia, what, 15, 20 years ago, I guess. I mean, what that was the early 2000s, so about 15 or so years ago. So it seems weird to call that old school, but when you see just how much college football offenses have evolved over the past, I mean, heck, even the past five years, let alone the past 15 years, like the zone read is about as basic as it gets with the quarterback run game from a spread offense but that is a base play for them, and, and they do other things as well. I mean, they'll do some quarterback power, which is what you've seen more of these spread offenses that have dual threat quarterbacks. you kind of seen them co- kind of trend in that direction. They'll do some of that. They'll do some quarterback draw in third law situations, that kind of thing. They'll do some of that stuff too. Don't get me wrong, they will, but they run a ton of true old-school zone read with them, and they run it with a lot of success. They'll throw in some RPOs as well. Absolutely. When you got a quarterback that has the legs like he does, they'll throw in some RPOs, and the passing game, they really like to get him on the edges so he can kind of put that stress on the defense with the ability to run the football if, if, he, if he sees an opening there, if he sees some space. They do that a lot with him. And, and his dual threat ability, it creates a lot of big play opportunities because, again, it stresses defenses. They're top 20 nationally in plays of both 20-plus yards and 30-plus yards because, really, of Desmond Ritter. Because when you have a quarterback that defense had to respect as a dual threat guy, as much as they do Desmond Ritter, then it creates a lot of stress in the secondary. It limits the kind of coverages that you can use because more often than not, you're having to dedicate an extra resource, an extra defender into the box, which really, really kind of hamstrings you in a lot of ways from a coverage standpoint. Because you might have to bring a safety down the box and if you have one high safety, there's only a certain number of coverages that you can run from that look. So it makes you more predictable defensively, which makes it easier for them to throw the football. And then when he gets out on the edge, coverages break down, and they got the scramble drill going on, and it just creates chaos out there, and they're able to hit a bunch of explosive plays off of that. And it really all comes back to Desmond Ritter at quarterback. But he's not perfect. He has strengths. He has plenty of strengths. He's a really good quarterback, but he's not perfect. If you keep him in the pocket, which is easier said than done, but if you can find a way to keep him in the pocket, he is not nearly as dangerous. He is really spotty with his accuracy when he has to stand there and just deliver from the pocket. His reads are pretty poor at times. Like that's not his strength. I'm not saying he can't do it. That's just not his strength. His, his strength is stressing team with his legs, getting on the edges, making plays on the move. It's not sitting there in a pocket like a, like a traditional pocket passer and delivering from that from that point. That's not what he does well. I'm not saying he can't do it. Again, he can do it. Like you see him do it from time to time, but that's just not where he excels. If you keep him in the pocket, you're taking away a lot of what makes Desmond Ritter special. So that thing is going to be a key to the game, which we'll get to more next week when we actually break down the matchups and, and the keys to this game. Uh, now, in terms of who he's got around him to work with, Ritter really spreads the love around to a bunch of different pass catchers. They don't have one guy who's like their go-to guy. They don't have like Devontae Smith or even, a, and I'm not saying a player that is as talented as Devontae Smith. They just don't have that one guy who's their feature target. They got a couple guys that really kind of spread the love to equally. Josh Wiley at tight end right now. He's their leading receiver. He's 6'6", 235. He's a, he's kind of a newer age, tight end, athletic kind of guy, big target. And then that receiver, you got Jay Sean Jackson, Alec Pierce, about 300 yards each. Jackson's a little smaller and shiftier. Pierce is the bigger target, about six foot three. So they kind of complement each other really well. But again, they, they don't have guys that I think are just nightmare matchup problems. that gave us a lot of issues like Alabama floor. They don't have a Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith or Kyle Pitts or Kadarius Turner. They have some good players, some guys that that, that can certainly make plays for them, but they don't have those dynamic options out wide that just kind of give defense coordinators nightmares thinking about how you're possibly going to game plan a way to stop them. And then at running back, you got Jared Dokes and Jerome Ford. Dokes is he's the lead guy running back, he's their leading rusher. He's a senior. He's a bigger back, six foot about two thirty. He's really kind of the compliment to Ritter. I know that he actually has more carries on the year than Desmond Ritter. But when you watch the play, it almost seems like Dokes is kind of he's the hammer. They just want to hammer away, hammer away, and get you to kind of commit to stopping him. So getting you know three, four, five yards here, you know, play after play and they want you to commit to having to stop him. It's almost like death by a thousand paper cuts, and as soon as you do that, then they'll use Ritter on the outside, and that's when they'll hit the big plays. So I think he, even though he gets more touches, more carries in the run game, I think he's more of a compliment to Ritter. And Jerome Ford's not quite as big as Dokes, maybe a little bit more explosive at that running back position, but again, all these guys are good. They compliment Ritter really well, but it begins and ends with Desmond Ritter at quarterback for this Cincinnati offense. Learn more at marines.com.
1: And finally, Cincinnati's offense has been good, but as you mentioned earlier, their defense is their calling card. This team is number one in the country in yards per play allowed. What makes them so tough on that side of the ball, and who are the players we have to game plan for?
0: They really, really are good on that side of the ball, guys. And I know you're sitting there saying, man, it's just Cincinnati. They haven't they haven't seen an offense like ours. They have. They don't play against the SEC, and I get all that, guys but they are really good. You got to trust me on that. I mean, and look, I know these aren't SEC teams. I know they're not Big Ten teams. I know they're not ACC teams, but just hear me out here. Central Florida is number two nationally in total offense. They held Central Florida to 359 total yards on the road in Orlando when Central Florida averages 585 yards a game on the year. That's almost, that's what, 230-ish yards below their average. They held SMU to 290 yards when SMU averages 494 yards a game, SMU's 12th nationally in total offense. They held SMU to 200 yards under their season average. They held Houston, who's not quite as good. They're not, they're not as good as UCF and SMU offensively this year, but Houston's, I mean, still got Dana Horwison as their, as their head coach, Colin Plays there, and he's a great offensive mind. They held Houston to 282 total yards when Houston averages 423 yards a game on the year. Against the best offenses they have faced, they have been dominant. That says something, all right. I know it's not SEC teams. I know it's not Alabama. I know it's not Florida. I get that. Would they give up points to Alabama? And give up points to Florida? Absolutely, they would. I'm not saying it's the best teams in America, the best teams we've ever seen. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying you got to respect them, guys. They are good. I know we don't we don't like to give group of five teams any kind of credit at all. But this is a good defense. They've played their best ball against the best offenses they face, and that's gotta say something. It's a very veteran year. Nine of their 11 starters are juniors or seniors. In fact, eight of the 11 starters are seniors, and four of those seniors are redshirt seniors. This is a very veteran defense unit that's played a lot of football. Luke Fickle is a great defensive coach going back to his days at Ohio State. This guy knows how to coach defensive football, and he's got a really strong veteran unit to work with that's played a ton of football for him. And look, in terms of the personnel, like which player do we have to game plan for, as Charlie asked, My Jai Sanders is number one, number two, and number three on the game plan. You have got to find where this guy is on every single snap. That's easier said than done because they do a great job moving him around. My Jai Sanders is their top pass rusher, one of the top pass rushers in the the AAC, really one of the top pass rushers in America. 6'5", 258, he's explosive off the edge, he has a wealth of pass rush moves. They, and they, again, they, like I said, they do a great job. This is where Luke Fickle comes into play here. They do a great job of scheming him free. They move him around a lot, which makes it really tough to game plan for because you don't know where he's going to be on any given snap. That's really tough to game plan for when you have a, a versatile talent like that that can, you can move around different parts of the field and do different things with. That's tough. And, and they also stunt a ton up front as a rule, which makes it even tougher uh, for you to be able to handle them up front and now where do they potentially have some deficiencies i would say they're not huge up front but they're very active they're top 25 nationally in tackles for loss and they have a stingy run defense We're only giving up 3.22 yards per carry now granted they have not seen a ground game like ours and we have a big powerful offensive line especially on the interior of the offensive line and we will outman them so will we be able to get some get enough movement? To push them off the ball and create some space for the for our running backs, I think there's a good chance of that. But we also have to be prepared for them to be shooting some gaps and creating issues, like we saw against Mississippi State. We saw against Mississippi State where we, they were outmanned, they were outgunned, but they just used their size as advantage their advantage, and they were able to shoot gaps and create all sorts of havoc in the backfield. So we've seen that. Hopefully, we've learned from that. But we are much bigger than them up front, hopefully we'll be able to run the football with more success than most teams have had against the Cincinnati defense. Now, they also have given up 20 pass plays of 20 or more yards, so they have given up some explosive plays. They hit a lot of explosive plays on offense, but they also give up a lot of explosive plays. And a big part of that is because they get their safeties heavily involved in the run game, especially in contain. The way they play their linebackers, they play their linebackers really tight, so they have to kind of have those safeties and those corners get really involved in the run game, which leaves them very vulnerable to play action. Tulsa had some shot plays on Saturday night in that American Conference Championship game, but they just were not able to hit enough of them. It was horrible conditions. It was freezing cold. It was raining nasty, so they could not hit enough of those plays to win that game, but even without hitting those plays, which were there all night, by the way, they pushed them to the very end and Cincinnati had to really grind to win that game right at the very, very end of that game. So there's going to be some opportunities, and I think with JT Daniels now at the helm, a quarterback, we're going to to have some success hitting those plays and really hopefully have some success making them pay for how they like to play, get those safeties and get those corners involved, and we hit some plays off play action. So again, hopefully our newfound balance will give them some issues. But again, this is an extraordinarily well-coached defense. It's a very veteran unit. They play hard. They play smart. And they have some talent. I know it's an American Athletic Conference team, so we don't think they have talent. They might not have SEC talent, but they have some talent. And I will, I will I'll go back to him, guys. I mean, Majai Sanders, I think that guy would start for just about any team in the SEC. Now, I know they don't have a, a, a roster full of SEC guys, but they have some of those guys. They have some guys here and there on that roster that could absolutely play in the SEC And I think my Jai Sanders is that number one guy on defense, and we got to find a way to slow him down, know where he is, and and keep him at bay. That's, again, easier said than done, but going back to Charlie's question, who we have to game plan for, my Jai Sanders, number one, number two, number three. He's got to be the top of of that scouting report and game plan. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA Podcast. I know it was a little bit of a shorter episode, but we just want to get on here real quick, put together a quick scout the enemy episode to get you a little bit more familiar with the personnel that Cincinnati has and who we'll be facing on January 1st. We will be back next week with a full-on breakdown of this Peach Bowl matchup with Cincinnati. We'll break down all the matchups, the keys of the game, whole nine yards, all that stuff like we do each and every week. We'll have you guys covered for that next week and Curtis and I will be back. Our plan is to be back later on this week before Christmas Eve with a bonus mailbag edition of the podcast. We have a lot of questions that have been sent in over the past couple of days. Even though we haven't had a game, we've got a lot of stuff that's on people's minds. So we will make sure we cover all those questions. So if you have any questions, guys, if you have not sent in, feel free to send those to us on social media. You can hit us up on Twitter at Glory_Uga. underscore UGA. You can tweet it to us. You can just send it to us in DM, whatever works for you. And if you don't do social media, which is totally cool, we get that then you can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get to as many of those questions as we possibly can later on this week. But thanks for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. We'll be back later on this week. For Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.